Connaughton picked up his player option. Going to get into a little bit of Bucks talk. Ben, I know the NBA draft, weirdly enough, is tonight. Hardly any buzz, in my opinion. I, I don't know about you, but I think I'll have it on as background music tonight. Yeah, I've never been a big fan of the draft. I've always found myself up in Vermont when I lived back out east uh, at that exact week during the summer. And then it's like the NFL draft I love to watch because I've heard of all the guys. And when you watch the third round of the NFL draft, you know there are some guys that are there that are going to end up being studs. And you know they have a like there are a bunch of people that your team could be looking at, right, that could make an impact. In the NBA draft, once you get past pick 10, I kind of struggle with staying into it because half of them are uh, Euro or stashaways. They'll come over in a couple years. A bunch of them are college guys that could make a roster, might play in the G League. I've always had trouble getting into it. I used to be a big draft lottery guy for different reasons. A team I used to follow and care about that I've cut all ties with because they are a joke of a franchise. So, yeah, I've never been a big NBA draft guy. I might have it on. I, I might just keep up with it on Twitter. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It's going to be background music, background noise. You'll have something up like a baseball game that you'll be watching, but it'll be on in the background where you kind of look up, stare at the TV. Okay, who is who is up to pick? Who just got selected? Like small stuff like that, just so you know what's kind of going on. But you're not super into it because I agree with you. A lot of the guys, it's the European names that you really don't know who they are. Their stashes, they don't come over right away. Or even like this year, I've been hearing that it's basically like a three-guy draft where there's three guys in this this draft that will come in and have a true impact on the roster next season. And, and we have a guy right here in the state, Johnny Davis. He's projected to be a lottery pick from most people or others have them just outside the lottery going in the top 20, but everyone is kind of under the same consensus. He's not going to be a guy that comes in and really contributes a ton right away. Like that just doesn't really happen much anymore unless you're a complete phenom and a a talent. And even guys like Johnny Davis aren't able to come into the league and, and really do that consistently. We're not that far removed as Milwaukee Bucks fans to drafting players in the first round and them flat out saying, I don't want to play for you. Like that was, that was a real thing with Yi Jin Lin in 2007 coming out of China or Joe Alexander coming out of West Virginia. Now, neither player really amounted to much in the NBA, but those were both two top 10 picks that literally told the Bucks men, I don't want to play for you. And then they went ahead and drafted them anyways. Yeah. And now, so on the flip side of that, now we have players like Pat Connaughton in the sports update from our sports director, Zach Heilprin that want to come to Milwaukee and that want to take cheaper deals. It kind of started, the floodgates kind of opened originally with Greg Monroe when he turned down the, the Lakers of the world, the New York Knicks of the world and said, I actually, I want to kind of play with Giannis in the city of Milwaukee and I'll take a little bit of a, a deal to come play him with him. Now hindsight 2020, that didn't work out well Greg Monroe was exposed for kind of what he was, but now you look at it. Bobby Portis was a guy that signed, what was it? Two years ago, originally for a really cheap team friendly deal to play with Giannis. Brooke Lopez signed that deal 
Ooh, how many years ago was that? Probably three-ish years ago. That was less than $4 million to originally play with the Bucks. Like there are guys that are all of a sudden wanting to come play in Milwaukee. And and that's really hasn't been a thing in like forever. Yeah, I would call that. I think it's very simple here. I would call that the Giannis effect. I am not going to come say that these guys want to go play for the Milwaukee Bucks. They want to go play with Giannis. I don't know if there's another player in the NBA that uh, would be more enticing to go play with. You can name any star. I think out of all of them, if I were in the position of a free agent, Giannis would be the guy I would choose to play with. Obviously, given my position, where I could fit in on the roster. But I I think it's just the effect of having a star like that with the attitude he has and how he carries himself. Plus, you add in the team's success and the passion, obviously, of the fan base behind it. But I don't know if it's a... I don't think it's a franchise just turned a corner moment of now these guys want to go play in Milwaukee. I, and I don't mean that as a slight. I, I'm trying to look at it objectively here. I just think it's the Giannis effect. It's all him. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. Without Giannis, no one's coming to Milwaukee to play with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. I, I don't think anybody's going to believe that. People don't want to go play with Grayson Allen. But I, I do find it interesting that not only are guys wanting to come to Milwaukee to play with Giannis, but also you have guys like LeBron James that are trying to lure Giannis to L.A., or to other markets to come play with them. And I say kudos to Giannis for saying, no, I like Milwaukee. My family's here. I'm going to build the team here. You can come to Milwaukee if you want. I'm not going to L.A. or I'm not leaving for another market. LeBron James is like he just went on a crazy binge of Tinder dates or hinge dates or name your dating app. And uh, some of them worked out. He had a lot of success early. And then he kind of reached, he started to reach the bottom of, of the proverbial barrel where now he is really scrapping to find anybody to go out on a date with him. Like at first, every star wanted to be, they wanted to go play with LeBron and it made sense, right? He was, I mean, he's winning championships, one of the greatest players ever. Now I feel like he's at the point where he is just scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to find stars to go play with him. Well, I mean, if we're going to use it in like a a Tinder or a a Bumble sense, Ben, I feel like he hit the lottery right away with Dwayne Wade and uh, Chris Bosh. But then he still had to move on. I would say he hit the lottery right away with Zydrunas Ilgowskis. (laughs) Zydrunas Ilgowskis? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I've always struggled with that name. Sure, we'll go with that. Anderson Verjal? What, these guys weren't stars? But clearly... He was never going to assemble anything as close to what he had in Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. Like, to to continue to assemble something like that would have been nearly impossible, especially with the NBA salaries skyrocketing the way they are. Like, look at the Bucks. The Bucks have Giannis. He's clearly the highest-paid guy. Chris Middleton is clearly the two, and Drew Holiday is clearly the three. They can't afford to bring anybody else in. Plus, you had Chris Middleton that signed a bit of a, a deal to stay in Milwaukee because he's buddies with Giannis. He didn't completely take the Supermax. Drew Holiday is making even less money than him. And then we're going to be talking about the roster moving forward here probably next segment. And they don't have a ton of money to go out and get another player. Like, there's no way that you can afford all these big-time players without someone taking deals. 
Yeah, uh, especially the role players. That's that's what you look at. I mean, you mentioned Middleton and Holiday, but Portis, I mean, is the biggest one. He could have gotten a lot more money. He he was making four point three last year to play here. He could have. We see the contracts in the in the NBA, right? He could have gotten much higher than that. Uh, so it's those guys. It's Pat Connaughton. You would hope that you hope that PJ Tucker would have taken it, or maybe somehow does now. I again that situation played out in kind of a weird way but yeah yeah it's those role guys and I mean that's what they're going to have to do this offseason because clearly their deficiency lied on the bench and on the playmaking side of it where when one guy went down they didn't have anyone to step up so we'll see going into this offseason Ben you literally had three player options and you everyone knew joking all joking aside that the Nassus was going to pick up his option the other two big question marks were Pat Connaughton and they were Bobby Portis. Now, those are two key role players for this Milwaukee Bucks team, especially when you get behind Giannis, you get behind Middleton, you get behind Holiday, Lopez. Like Those are some key contributors that even played well in the, in the postseason the last couple of years. Pat Connaughton picks it up, and Bobby Portis on the Twitter sphere, he has put out tweets talking about how he sounds like he's a either going to pick up his option, which is for about four point five million, which is just crazy, or work on a long term deal with the Milwaukee Bucks to stay in Milwaukee. Now we know the fans of the the Milwaukee Bucks in the area love Bobby Portis. You'll get Bobby chants all the time. Bobby Portis has been pretty vocal about loving the city of Milwaukee and and staying in Milwaukee. But if they can get Pat Connaughton to pick up his option like he did. You can get Bobby Portis to pick up his option. I mean, you're spending a little over $10 million between two players where them combined, Ben, what do you think they would make on the open market? About 25 Ooh. and you could get them for about 10, yeah, 10 and a half. Yeah. Port- That's a steal. Portis might be pushing 17, 18 realistically. I mean, he was, we see what he does with the team in the playoffs, don't even talk about the stats of it. I just his presence and his attitude and the edge he brings like that is such a big part of the Bucks identity. So the Connaughton news was good, but if they're able to get Portis on a similar deal or just get him back at all, really, I think that's the bigger piece here. Um, and, and you mentioned another guy, Javon Carter. I think you mentioned him during the break. The thing is, with so with Portis, we know his role, right? And with Connaughton, we know his role as well. What's interesting to me is what they do aside from them, how they form the bench. Because if they get Javon Carter back, I, I hope Coach Bud actually plays him in the playoffs this time, See, right? He, we we were laughing about Javon Carter last winter because when they first uh, picked up Javon Carter, it was basically he got in the last couple minutes when the Bucks were either winning by a ton or losing by a ton. But as the season kind of developed and progressed, Javon Carter started playing more and more as he had a clear cut role as that backup guard with the Milwaukee Bucks. And he played pretty well. Like I think there was a lot of fans towards the end saying they want more Javon Carter, less George Hill. And I do think that's the move, especially because if you're talking about a backup guard, you're going to get him for relatively cheap. There's no doubt about that. It's not like the Bucks with how they're currently set up financially with some of their, their deals and players can afford much. 
but you're going to get him for cheap. And I think when you look at the roster, he instantly becomes your backup point guard. I know George Hill is still currently on the roster, but I can't imagine John Horse would hold on to George Hill too long, especially if an opportunity to dump him and his salary came along for him. To to put it as simply as I can, uh, George Hill is over the hill. George, George is over his his last name, if you will. It's like, I just hope, because it happened two years ago too. And even though they won the NBA Finals, I was not happy that Jeff Teague was playing 12 minutes a game. It just wasn't productive at all. And I get it's an identity thing. It's a veteran thing. But still, I yeah, I hope they, they have Javon Carter play more. I hope they can pick up more that can come off the bench and help. Because even take away if there's an injury. If there's no injury right now, like the unit of... Javon Carter, Pat Connaughton, and then throw in a starter. But Grayson Allen's in there. Portis is in there. It's like you need more. You need more dynamic guys, really, to put it simply. You need you need scoring. They have shooting, but it's not dynamic shooting. You need just to get some jolt off the bench because against the Celtics, there were times where that was just they, they couldn't do it. There was just that lull offensively. They couldn't get the jolt they needed. So yes, I think it is very good news that Connaughton is back. But by no means am I going to be totally fine with the roster just looking the exact same going into next year. And there will be upgrades. I'm not saying they won't do it, but I I think it's necessary, especially guard off the bench. Well, I think another thing to think about, Ben, here is a lot of Bucks fans would believe that had Chris Middleton been healthy, that's a Bucks team that's competing in the NBA Finals. No doubt. I They probably win it, let's be honest. Like, I, I don't know if they win it, but I would I would also agree that they're there and they're playing the Warriors. And Chris Middleton, I personally, Ben, thought that they could get past the Celtics and make it to the NBA Finals without Chris Middleton. Obviously, it was going to make it a lot tougher. You needed the Grayson Allens, the Pat Connaughton's, the Bobby Portis of the world to play a lot better and shoot the basketball well. They didn't really do that in the Boston series, but I thought they had the ability to actually win that series had they shot the ball a little bit better, but they literally could not find anything to go down. But uh, I do have been a John Horst clip here talking about how he doesn't want to overreact one way or the other here. I think being great at both things actually matters. When you lose theoretically because you weren't good enough offensively, you react offensively. If you lose because you're not good enough defensively, you react defensively. I think our job is to stay balanced, stay in the pocket, understand that being great offensively and defensively, um, having players that fit around Giannis, that fit coach's system, um, is the most important. And I I kind of agree with what he's saying there. I I know you said you need to upgrade some spots, maybe some roster positions. You could always look to add better players. But I really do think with that core of Middleton, Holiday, Giannis, and some of those guys that they do currently have around them in Lopez, Portis, Connaughton, I do think with some slight upgrades like a Javon Carter, maybe getting rid of George Hill and bringing in another veteran that can score, I do think they have another team that can be back in the NBA Finals just because you have Giannis and he's that good. You always know with Giannis, if he's healthy, he's going to be in the conference semifinals. No doubt about it. Every single year, he should be in the conference semis 
and you should be looking for potentially playing in the NBA Finals. He's just that good right now. And and now finally, some of the national pundits are starting to jump on that bandwagon that Giannis is the best player in the NBA. So I don't I don't think they have to go out and do a ton, especially with how their contracts and their financial situation plays out. They're, they kind of have their antis this year. They don't have a ton of money to go out and make huge moves unless you're talking about trading Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday, but it sounds like the Bucks want to keep those three together. I mean, when you talk about what Horst just said and the reaction, I think if you lose a series because you don't have enough dynamic playmakers, it would make sense to react by getting dynamic playmakers. And yeah, they lost in large part because of the injury, but also it was a roster thing that uh, it was very evident anyway, uh, that even if Chris Middleton was there, I think they win that series, but still they probably lacked a, a juice, a jolt off the bench. So I, I think the reaction thing, I, it doesn't always have to be, oh, we want to get a guy that also can be a great defender and all this stuff. If you lose because a guy, for instance, Wisconsin, they lost in the NCAA tournament because they could not shoot the basketball. One would hope going into next year, there are more minutes and more of an emphasis on the guys that can shoot the basketball. And yeah, one would hope that they're good defenders as well. But when you do the self-evaluation of a roster and a playoff run or whatever it is, I think it does make sense to react to why you had lost the year before or something along those lines. So I, if you had to ask me right now, like I, I would love to bet the Bucks at plus 750 to win the title because they do have the best player in the NBA. At the same time, I would be disappointed if there wasn't a clear upgrade made. If they just go run it back with the same roster, then I like look at the Golden State series. They have the firepower to just go on a crazy third quarter run and take a game. Do the Bucks have that right now? I don't know if I could say yes. Well, here's another clip from Horace talking about how every single year teams are getting better and you have to be you have to strive to be great on both sides of the basketball. Just being laser focused on that, drilling down in and figuring out what are the specific skill sets that will give us the returns we need in a tough playoff series that the league keeps getting better. They're going to be better again next year. Boston's going to come back on fire, and they're going to be great. Like Miami's going to be great. Hopefully, we're going to be great. Um, Brooklyn could be healthy and be great. And so that's just to name a few. And so, yeah, I think it's it's really to react to the things that we weren't good enough at, but not overreact because at the end of the day, you got to be balanced. you got to be great in both areas. And I just think, though, looking currently how this roster, roster is constructed, Ben, they just his hands are kind of tied at the moment. Like you hope Bobby Portis officially picks up that that option or works on a long-term deal where it's cap friendly this season. But other than that, like your top eight players are kind of locked in. You already have like your Thanasis who's going to round out the end of the bench. Mamu Kalashvili, you could bring back Noara, like I said, for super cheap. Javon Carter will hopefully be brought back for super cheap. But outside of that, it's like, who are the guys you're really moving from this team? The one that really comes to mind is George Hill, but then you have to look at it as who wants to be your dancing partner for George Hill. No, no one's trading for George Hill. He's like cooked. The, the, only, the only teams that would be interested in trading for George Hill would be a team that's just looking to dump salary. Yeah, but still, well, the Bucks couldn't withstand that salary dumpage, if you will. Uh, no one's trading for George Hill, but... One would hope that even though he's on the roster, 
you could still make upgrades where he just doesn't have to play. That's what I'm looking for. And the and the Milwaukee Bucks just don't have a ton of money outside of these moves that they're about to make. It looks like they have just roughly looking at this cap, maybe roughly $20 million to play with. And that would be completely maxing out going up and over the cap into the luxury tax. So, I mean, they don't, they don't have a ton of money where they can't just go out and sign some solid score off. That'll be off the bench. That'll be like their seventh guy in the rotation. That's why you're going to have to, you got to get a lot more than what you got last postseason from Grayson Allen Connaughton and Portis. But I can't trust Grayson Allen to do that. That's my problem. I mean, maybe find a trade for Connaughton. I don't know. I just, at, at this point, with what I've seen and what I know about the guys, they're fine. They're good. But the team needs to be better in situations like that where they need a bucket. They can't just do whatever they called offense that last postseason. Robbie, the reason why we bring you on every Thursday, it's to talk football. It's to talk Green Bay Packers. Now, I know Ben has been chomping at the bit to ask you a question. He's been going through what this roster will probably look like come September. So I'll let him ask the first question. So, Rob, Grant Bills and I were in for Bill Michaels yesterday, 10 to 2. And so uh, Rob Domofsky, ESPN, had put out his 53-man roster projection. Nothing was surprising, obviously. It kind of stood how we expect this roster to look like with a good amount of the rookies making the team maybe some of the fringe seventh rounders not but I was comparing it to where this roster stood week one of last year that's obviously after the Devondre Campbell signing but maybe before they got Rasul Douglas and midseason and I Grant and I were going through it and yes Devontae's gone yes Zadarius Smith is gone yes there are some questions at offensive line with the health there and also with Tanyan but I feel like this roster is better this year. Am I crazy for thinking that? You're not crazy, Ben. But again, the glaring difference and the glaring weakness comes down to the wide receivers. I'm with you. The defense should be dramatically better. I mean, especially when you consider, I mean, they didn't have Zadarius Smith all season for the most part anyways. And and after what was it week four, they, they were without Jair and, um, they didn't have Rasul Douglas on, on the roster at the, at the start of the season. It, there is no question this this should be a top five, a top three, maybe even a, the number one defense in the league. And, and they're going to have to win games that way. I, I think they're going to rely more heavily than on, you know, on the ground game. I think they're going to be far closer to a 50-50 split when this is all said and done versus the 60-40 that they've been, 60% throw, 40% run during the first uh, you know few years of the Matt LaFleur era here. Um, I think the offensive line has more depth, and, and you kind of hit the key there. What we're going to find out a lot more a month from now, just where David Bakhtiari is, where Elton Jenkins is. Um, you know, will, will Bakhtiari return to form and, and be the dominant player that he was? Um, when, when will you expect to see Jenkins back? But, but man, Benny, that, that line is, is deep. Uh, I mean, uh, across the board, if, if these rookies can play and we'll find out a lot more, you know, when camp gets here, but you know, but if Tom and Ryan can play, Josh Myers is healthy now at center. Um, they, they, they got pretty good snaps last year, a thousand of them out of, out of Runyon, you know, Royce Newman had a, had a respectable rookie season. So they've got, I mean, I didn't even mention Yash as the swing tackle. They've got seven, eight offensive linemen guys that can start. And, 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 and I don't know that we envisioned that, that a year ago, Ben, 
um, you know, with, with the group they had, even though the line turned out to be a, a real strength of that football team. But, but again, it, it, it still all comes back to the wide receiver position. And, and you guys heard him, you know, Aaron Rodgers, when, when he addressed the media a few weeks back, and, you know, during, during the few days he was, you know, he was in Green Bay. He talked about Alan Lazard being the new number one. I mean, guys, if, if, if that's the case, they're, they're in deep, deep trouble. Um, you know, Christian Watson is going to have to emerge. Sammy Watkins is going to have to surprise us and, and, and play like he did earlier in his career versus the last, the last couple of years. You know, they're, they're going to have to, you know, get 12 games in, instead of eight out of Randall Cobb. Amari Rogers has to make a jump. I mean, there's, there are so many question marks and so many unproven's and, you know, so many reasons, honestly, Ben, to worry at wide receiver right now and, and really tight end as well. And until Tunyon gets back, it just, it, that group is far and away uh, the weakest on the roster, not just having lost Adams, but the speed MVS brought Ben. So I'm with you. I think top to bottom, um, you know, that they've improved in more areas than, than they've gotten worse at. But, but the one area where they really did drop off dramatically, you, you can't lose the best wide receiver in football and, and think you're going to put up the same number of points the following year. And, and, and that's, that's going to be the challenge. Um, they're they're going to have to win some games, especially early on, I think, as the rookies grow, Ben. You know, they're going to have to win some games, you know, 17-13, 2017, in 19-16, those, those kind of games. It, it, I would not look for this offense, especially out of the shoot, Benny, to, to come out and be scoring 30 plus points a game. Well, so, that's kind of music to my ears as a Badger guy, you know, the low scoring games that some may yeah. consider ugly. I don't, I think it's beautiful, but I, when I look around the league though, and, and this might be more of a big picture thing, but there were two organizations that ended up having to part ways with superstar high caliber, top of the league receivers, the Kansas city chiefs and the green Bay Packers. There are two organizations that traded for those receivers, the Raiders and the dolphins right now. When I, when I can, Consider who are the upper echelon franchises in football. I would say the Chiefs and Packers are, are two of the top ones. I, I feel like getting the value for him, I, I, I would side with the organizations that have proven to be the smartest in the league, maybe compared to the ones that, you know, haven't had any success. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not of the mindset you need to pay a wide receiver $30 million a year unless that guy is Jerry Rice or Randy Moss. And and as good as Devontae Adams is, you know, Green Bay got the best years out of Devontae Adams. I, I, hey, he's going to have two or three really good seasons with Green Bay, but, but much like I think some of these – you know, major league baseball contracts. We see the pools contract or whatever. You're you're going to benefit at the front end of it, and 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 it's going to be a struggle at the back end. You know, for for that player to put up the consistent numbers that they did. And you know, in baseball, you have to eat that money and and keep the guy on the roster. In football, you can dump him. You know, so for Devonte to keep catching a hundred balls uh, like he has the last few years, Ben, I, I I think maybe he's got a year or two of that left in him. You know, remember though, he's 29 already. Um, it, it, it's tough for these guys to keep up that that level of consistency and dominant uh, performances. Well, you know, once once they hit their thirties, I would think by twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five, you know, Devontae Adams has certainly started to slip. And and I'm with you. I would not have given him thirty million dollars a year either. I, I think they made made a heck of a deal in terms of what they got coming back with with the one and the two. Um, I, I I I have no problem with that whatsoever because when you look at the big picture of a two bed. 
They've got the highest-paid quarterback in, in, in the league, the highest-paid left tackle, the highest-paid corner now. Rashawn Gary's going to wind up being in the top two or three you know, highest-paid highest, highest paid outside linebackers. You've got the second-highest-paid nose tackle in Kenny Clark. You know, can you also then have the highest-paid wide receiver? I mean, I guess you can, and then you've just got 16 other starters that are on minimum or, you know, low-level type of deals. And, and by moving on from Adams, it, it allowed him to keep, you know, Devondre Campbell. It allowed him to keep, um, you know, uh, Rasul Douglas. And, and, and they've actually got $17 million of cap room sitting there right now that they that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So I, I, I'm i with you, Ben. I, I think it's a good deal. It's going to pay off for them in the long term. The question becomes in the short term. What can you get right away out of a Watson? What can you get right away out of, out of a Romeo Doves? What you, you know can, can Samari Touri help you on, on any level whatsoever? Can any of, these, any of these other guys step up? Because right now, as we go to camp, this is you know this this is the this is undoubtedly the weakest group of wide receivers Aaron Rodgers has entered a season with. Now they've got a chance to prove everybody wrong. And, and step up and, and somebody can have 80 or 90 catches and, and the group can surprise everybody. But right now, as, as we sit here, the, you know, the, the last week of June guys, it's, it's the weakest group of wide outs Rogers has ever gone into a season with. So Robbie, I mean, we, we mentioned, obviously it's a big loss that Devonte Adams is no longer there, but you talked about surprises and, and is there anyone on the wide receiver room currently that could surprise, but that date of June 1st that everyone looks at where a lot of normally decent veterans get cut, there hasn't really been a ton to this point that were cut. Do you think there'll be any surprise cuts between now and when the season starts? For Green Bay, you mean? Yes, for the Green Bay Packers. You know, they're not in cap hell where where the, that would have to, you know, come into play. You know, the the, the guy I've kind of had circled all off season was Dean Lowry just because, you know, they are deep all of a sudden on the defensive line with, with, with Clark and Reed and the drafting Devontae Wyatt and T.J. Slayton, I think, is a guy on the come, and they drafted Jonathan Ford and, you know, they had Heflin on the roster last year. It's, 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 it's probably the best group of defensive linemen that they've had in six or seven years, guys. And, and I, and I kind of circled Lowry um, as a guy because I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think his cap number this year might be seven or eight million, you know, a place where they could, could go and save some money. And, but I just don't think they need to. I, I know it's been floated around out there. Um, I think Pro Football Focus did a thing where they had a surprise cut from every team. And, and, and their packer was Randall Cobb. And, and, guys, I just don't see that one. I mean, I think the quarterback would go absolutely bongos if that if that happened. Um, it it does seem like the right time for Amari Rodgers to, uh, to to step up and become the slot guy and, and play 40 or 50 snaps a game. And Cobb is obviously in his way when, when he's still on the roster. But I just I think the trickle-down from a move like that, the ramifications in terms of, how you would irritate the quarterback would 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 be so dramatic. I mean, it's 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 his best remaining friend by far on the team. I just don't think he would be in a good mindset if he actually does have some say right now in into how these personnel decisions are going to wind up going. Obviously, Rogers would would veto something like Randall Cobb. So you know, I I I don't I I I think the roster is is really pretty set, Nelly. I. I mean, there could be a minor surprise along the way. I mean, a Chris Barnes gets, 
you know, whacked or something like that. Maybe one of these offensive linemen, because they are deep there, you know, that, that, that we hadn't really envisioned gets, gets bumped or something like that. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe a tight end like DeGuara, um, who was a third round pick a couple of years ago. If, you know, if, if, if he continues to, you know, stay third or fourth or something like that on the depth chart, you know, if Tunyon makes a healthy recovery, we know Mercedes Lewis is, is, is the blocking tight end. If Tyler Davis, you know, shows enough in, in training camp, do they move on from DeGuara? Maybe a guy like that. But it, it's not going to be anything like we saw in the 80s, guys, when, you know, Forrest Gregg came in and um, you, you guys may be too young to remember this, but he caught Lynn Dickey and he caught Paul Kaufman on, on the same day in, in 1986. And, and that, that was, you know, the best quarterback the Packers had had since Bart Starr and, and the best tight end they had had in a long, long time as well. I just, we're not going to see anything quite like that, I think, uh, certainly unfold this summer, uh, Nelly. Rob Rice will join us. Rob, real quick, I, I want to have some fun with this. Grant and I, when we were talking about that roster and how this year's compares to last year's entering the year, if the two took the field in some made-up scrimmage that could never actually happen, but for the sake of argument, we'll say it will, which team do you think would win if these two would uh, take the field and play each other? 21, 21 Packers versus 22? Yeah. Well, Green Bay better hope it's the 22 because we know what a disappointing group the 21 Packers wound up being, right? I mean, and, and, and that's the gold standard in Green Bay, right? It, it, it's not one in the, the lousy doors. It, it, it's not making the playoffs. It's not being the number one seed. It's not getting a home game. It's, it's what you do in the postseason. So, I mean, they better have improved the roster at enough, at enough places to compensate for the Devontae Adams loss. And, and we'll see as this thing unfolds. Benny here over over the next six months or so. Um, that, that's a great question. It's, it's a really tough one because you know when, when you do get to the postseason, your superstars usually carry the day, and and, and that's what that's what wins you playoff games, right? It's it's the Matt Stafford, it's the Cooper Cups at at crunch time that that come up big. It's it's the Joe Burrows to you know to the chases that 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 win you conference titles and 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 in the rams case the super bowl so so losing your second best player like the packers did with with adams moving on is 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 a tough blow but you're not wrong i mean they're they're certainly better in four five six other spots than than they were last year and and you know i I think rashad gary's gonna have a monster year i think he's gonna have 16, 17, 18 sacks. I think they're going to have the best secondary in football. I think it's the best defensive line that, again, that, that they've probably had since maybe that, you know, 2014 team that, that closed so hot and, and, and obviously blew the Seattle game. Um, but, but again, Ben, I, you know, I, I think, you know, the only way to make Packer fans happy is, is to make some kind of deep playoff run. So if you are Green Bay, you've got to hope that this 2022 team winds up being uh, much, much better than the 2021 team was. So uh, 2021 Rodgers would fold first or 2022 Rodgers in that, uh, let's call it an NFC championship game type atmosphere. All right. I'm sorry. I asked that again. I missed the first part. So uh, NFC championship game type atmosphere. Does 2022 Rodgers outlast 2021 Rodgers in terms of having the ball say late in the fourth quarter? Well, the last number of playoff Rodgers have been pretty lousy. Yeah, it's an unanswerable question. <laughs> as, we, as we all know. And, and, and I don't think it's a situation where he's worn out or anything by the end of the year. I, I, I just think it's, 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 a, it's a situation where his, his cautious approach to these games 
uh, comes back and bites him in the, in the tail. When, when you get to the postseason, you've got to take some chances against elite defenses. He did that in 2010 against Pittsburgh, and we all remember how that played out. He had one of the great Super Bowls of all time. You know, when he, when he sees San Francisco these days in the playoffs, when he sees Tampa Bay, when he sees these unbelievably high-level defenses, um, you know, his, his, his approach to never throwing an interception and, and, and not wanting to take some chances comes back and bites him in the tail. I think physically he's absolutely fine, Ben. I, you know, I think he's got three, four more years in him physically if, if he wants to. And I, I, I think he's, he's winding up in a, in a really good spot in January every year physically. I just, I think he's got to change his mental approach and, and whether or not he does that this season will, will let us know and, and play a large role in, in, in terms of where these, 2022 Packers can wind up going but there's no question about it Ben they need him to be much much better in the playoffs for them to have any chance to wind up you know where Packer Nation wants them to. Robbie I'll leave you with this the hands and the fate of the Milwaukee Brewers and their split with the Cardinals rests with the summer of George or I mean Jason Alexander today (laughs) Go, go Brewers Chichi Rodriguez you know, George Costanza, it's, it's, it's quite it's quite the organization they've got over there. Yeah, let's let's say summer of George and, and go with Brewers getting the split. How about that? All right. Thanks, Robbie. I do think there is a lot of different ways the Milwaukee Brewers could attack this, this deadline. Obviously, I think most fans are going to say they want them to buy. I don't know too many fans out there that will say they they would like to see the Brewers be sellers. Yeah, that's every fan base of every team ever. Like, I understand. So in, in 2017, Ben, the Brewers were projected to be one of the worst teams in franchise history. I thought that was pretty overblown, especially when you look at some of the teams that they trotted out there in the 90s. They had, a, they had some talent, and they had some young talent in 2017. But all of a sudden... You're in July, and this team is competing for a playoff spot. Now, fast forward to the end of the season, that 2017 team came one game short of making the postseason, but it was overall a good year. Like it was, it was a team that no one really was expecting much from, and it was exciting baseball. And they kept Milwaukee Brewer fans interested all season. Now they came up short, but there were fans that all of a sudden were were screaming from the mountaintops, Ben for them to buy and, and and they were there was a hashtag going around saying hashtag not my rebuild because if you remember mm. the Milwaukee Brewers at the end of uh, Melvin's tenure as GM and the very start of Stearns they started selling off a lot of players it was like the Carlos Gomez's of the world were traded the uh, Mike Fires of the world was traded Jonathan Lucroy like they kind of got rid of some of the pillars that were Milwaukee Brewers to kind of usher in the Josh Hader era and and some of this newer Milwaukee era where they had some of these young up-and-coming guys, Travis Shaw at the time, Orlando Arcia at the time. Now, some of those guys and most of those guys aren't there, and they, they have had a lot of overturn on the roster since then, especially with David Stearns at the helm. But it was crazy because... This was been literally like year number two or so of of this rebuild where you knew it was going to take time and people already wanted them to buy when they were clearly not a team that could win. And as a Brewer fan, we already saw them make the postseason after a long drought with the CC Sabathia trade. Didn't think it was really needed in that spot. 
So I, I don't think I will hear many people talking about selling for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, Pete, uh, Marquette Pete called in earlier. He doesn't think this is a team that can compete with the World Series favorites, and I would agree with him. But I do still think this is a team that you should still have expectations of making the postseason. Yeah, buying is a, there are, it's not a black and white world when we go to the trade deadline. There's buying a middle reliever that you give up nothing for, which they will do. I, I can nearly guarantee it. Hell, they might even do it twice. Or or three times, uh, for that matter. And then there's buying, buying. That's when you get the big ticket guy. That's when you really go all in and part with some of your top prospects for him. Where I stand now, I mean, is it a team that can compete with the Dodgers in a seven-game series? Right now, I would say no, no way. But part of that is... When I look up and down the roster, and I understand the hitting is a problem, the the talent up and down the lineup hasn't really produced. Do I love Christian Yelich at leadoff? Absolutely, and I think that's going to continue to work. But still, 1-9, to nine, not strong enough to go against the top pitchers in baseball, and they haven't done a great job of it this year. We're also seeing, obviously, in the Cardinals series, what happens when the top relievers go against them. It's been a lot of cold. Yet... My bigger concern, and I think the thing that's going to keep this team back from really competing in the NL, is the fact that right now their rotation, I mentioned it at the start of the show, Corbin Burns is your number one. Eric Lauer, though, he started off crazy good, crazy dominant. The strikeout numbers were high. He wasn't giving up a lot of runs. He's going deep. Since then, things have kind of turned. He's been hit hard in each of his last three, four outings. He is giving up the long ball at an alarming rate. We're talking about eight home runs in his last three starts, 17 total runs allowed. And if, if you want to look at what could be coming next, I, his FIP, FIP, something that tries to predict where ERAs will trend, is at a 4.88, and his ERA is down at 3.89. So if anything, it might not get better. It could even get worse. And then Adrian Hauser, not a dependable arm. I don't want him starting a playoff game. After that, Ashby's on the IL. Woodruff is on the IL. Peralta's on the IL. Until I see Woodruff come back and return to being Brandon Woodruff, I cannot confidently say that that he's going to come back and be a dominant guy going to the postseason. He was dealing with an injury that literally made it hard for him to grip breaking balls. That's not like he just sprained his ankle. That'd be different for a pitcher to deal with. It's like the same thing with guys coming off of big arm injuries. There, there are moments where they don't return to their dominant self, or at least it takes time. So with Woodruff, that could happen. Do I, I, there is a chance he just comes back and is dominant right away. And then that's the best case scenario. But even in that setting, you have two guys at the top in Burns and Woodruff, but then Peralta, I, not one ounce of me is confident that he's going to come back and be able to start games and be good in the postseason. Like he's missed most of the year. It's going to take some time to ramp up. What if they get him back end of August where he has a full month to ramp up for the playoffs? I, is he as effective as he was before? I'm just saying, I don't know how effective he'll be, but he gets a full full month, four to six weeks to ramp up for the playoffs. I mean, he's still not a big length guy compared to the others in the rotation. So I, I would still, I, 
he might even just be a really dominant long reliever. He might come in for three or four innings and and spell some other guys. I don't know if he could just step up and go five, six innings because he's usually a high pitch count, not really deep into games unless his stuff is really, really working uh, because of the strikeouts are so high. And then he, he has walked guys as well. So overall, I say all that to say when I look at the rotation, that needs to be the thing that propels this team into the postseason and beyond. When I look at it right now, I'm confident in one guy going forward at, at this point. So the only way that I could see this team getting drastically better on the trade market is going out to get another. And that's why I brought up the name Frankie Montas from the Oakland A's. But going after another arm that you can also have club control with that can pitch in the future, you can never have too many good starters. And given where the rotation is and the fact that most of them are hurt and there are questions about whether they'll return to be dominant, my big move would be on the staff. See, I feel like if you if you really are going after a World Series and you want to be competitive and win the World Series, I feel like there's clearly going to be moves that would have to be made on both sides of, of the baseball, don't you think? Like you're going to have to, if you truly wanted to be a World Series contender, you're going to have to land a starting pitcher, especially if you don't think Woodruff or Peralta are going to be able to be what they were pre-injury, right? Then on, uh, you would also have to add a, a, at least a bat. So you're going to be giving up a lot, right? If you want to acquire both a bat and an arm and, and a significant bat and arm. Well, it depends. What, well, I don't think you'll be able to do both. It depends what caliber bat you're talking about. Because most of the big caliber bats, there are going to be so many guys going after them, so many teams, that you're going to have to give up a crazy, crazy amount to go get them. So getting both, I think, is pretty much impossible, really. See, I, I'm with you on the fact that I think that they'll go after, they'll acquire another bullpen arm or two. It'll be like some middle relievers where maybe they'll work their way into like the six. They'll kind of be like, the, they'll maybe steal like Trevor Gott's sixth inning. Maybe they'll Trevor Gott's been good. Maybe they will uh, be able to help on days where you're still in contention to win a game, fill in in that seventh or eighth for like a Williams or Boxberger that was already used in a, in a winning or leading role. So I, I'm agree. I'll agree with you. I think they do do that, but I think if you really like what you have and if they can get Woodruff back to being somewhat healthy, they can get, Freddie Peralta to have about a month to rev up. I think I would take my chances and roll the dice with that rotation. Like I'm with you. Adrian Hauser is what he is. He's a ground ball pitcher. He's a guy that you want firmly in your rotation. But when you look at some of his starts, I mean, he's had seven out of 13 starts that have been pretty decent that you can get by with that you can win with. Now, four of those came in April, Ben, he hasn't been great lately. Now, Eric Lauer, I think he's just kind of reverting back to the mean. I, I don't think anyone would confuse Eric Lauer and his stuff with some guy that's normally a one or even a high two in a rotation. I think Eric Lauer sits as a, as a three. I, I think he's kind of pitching. Now, he's been bad recently, but I think overall his numbers this season, he's kind of pitching where you hope he would be, right? He's kind of that three on your on your rotation that's solid. He's a left-hander. It gives you a little bit of a, a breakup between all your right-handed arms. Well, he was a two. He was pitching like a two, and 
then has but that's dr- what I'm saying. I dropped think he's, off the face of the I earth think he, dramatically. Overall, his numbers this year, he's kind of reverted back to that three where I think a lot of people would pencil him in at. But he's trending down fast. And then I'm not even going to mention the Jason Alexanders or the Chi-Chi Gonzalez's because they're not going to be guys that if they're used in the playoffs, you're screwed. But at this point, they might have to be. That's my point here is that uh, the depth has been so screwed by injuries and you don't know how those injuries are going to shake out where there's a realistic chance Jason Alexander pitches four innings in a playoff game. See, I think I'd roll the dice with my pitching staff knowing that I'm going to be getting healthier because you look at that bullpen. Trevor Gott hasn't pitched in what, like two, three weeks. Jake Cousins hasn't been available since like the third week of the season. Gustave hasn't been available for probably close to a month now. Those are all guys that they're planning on getting back. They've just kind of had nagging injuries. They're all expected to be back sometime in July. So that'd be plenty of time to even add a bullpen arm. I think that bullpen, which again, another year under David Stearns is a top 10 bullpen, both when you look at ERA and whip, they continue to hammer out good bullpens and they figure it out. I think I would roll the dice. And this is my reason, Ben. The offense has just been even worse than it was last year. That offense last season, they averaged just below four and a half runs per game. It actually jolted them into a tie, I believe, for 10th. But this season, we saw when the Brewers were playing really well at the end of April into May, Ben, they were up there just under 4.9 runs per game. And now, do we think that was sustainable? Probably not. But you'd like them to be over four and a half runs a game. They're currently down there at 4.32, just below four and a third runs per game. And granted, that's now just ever so slightly in the bottom half, basically the middle of Major League Baseball. But if you're going to be a true contender and we know that they'll have a top 10 bullpen, and especially when it's when it's healthy, that'll probably be close to top five. You look at the fact that when healthy and you hope that you can get Woody back and Peralta back with at least a month to a month and a half to ramp up, that is a pretty solid rotation, especially when you shorten it moving into the postseason. I feel like it's a bat. You look around. At catcher, you've been relatively average. Narvaez just a season ago was an all-star. You look at first base, and yeah, Rowdy Telez was hot at the beginning of the season, but he's been so-so since. Second base, Colton Wong has been awful for you. Shortstop, Willie Adamas has been productive hitting the baseball like the long ball, but he hasn't hit for an average. He's been a plus defender. Third base, it's basically been Jace Peterson and Mike Brasso all season, and Brasso is injured. But Luis Arias missed an entire month, and then he hasn't played well for two or three weeks. Your outfield is Christian Yelich that you had to move up to lead off. That's a guy that you're paying to be the, the three-hole hitter. You look at center field, you had the DFA, Lorenzo Cain. He was so bad. It's now Tyron, uh, Tyrone Taylor every day, and he's an average fielder. Clearly, Christian Yelich is a below average fielder. And then you got Renfro coming back from uh, injury, and he's playing solid. He was playing a little bit better, but we'll see uh, what he can do getting back in the mix. He's been about an average fielder with a plus arm. And then you have McCutcheon as your DH slash kind of a fill-in outfielder. I guess you could also throw Keston Hira into that as well. He, he might be able to play a corner outfield in a pinch and help you DH. But you need bats. I, I think the Brewers at this point, you need to be a buyer and a seller, Ben. And, and what I mean by seller is 
I think I'm trading Colton Wong to a contender that's interested. Who the hell's trading for Colton Wong? Whatever I can get for him. If if they're looking for a little bit of pop at the second base position and a guy that's normally normally been a sure fielder, I think I'm getting rid of him because you look at this roster. He's hitting 228. You yeah, I, I get that. But I'm saying I think Colton Wong's a guy that you look at potentially trading and, and trying to get some prospects back for because I do think there will be a team that because we know second base as a position, Ben. That's that's a position where normally there's not a guys that are super productive that play there. Colton Wong's a guy that has the opportunity to hit 15 bombs a season when healthy. Now he hasn't been healthy this year. He's played terrible defense, but I still think, especially in a pinch. You could get something for Colton Wong at the deadline. That's a guy that I actually would think about trading away because if you think about it, you have Luis Arias, who's a guy that can play short, second, third. You have a guy in the minors in Bryce Terang who's been chomping at the bit and playing really well, probably pretty close to a call-up. He would be called up if you didn't have an Adamas blocking him or a Wong blocking him. He's a guy that can play second. He can play short. He can play third. But I, I think the biggest thing here is you got to go get a bat. You, you, there's multiple names out there that you can go get. You got to get a bat. I wouldn't be surprised if you go after a third baseman. There has clearly been a hole at third base with Urias not playing well and then shuffling between three different positions and also being hurt. And I think you clearly have to get a bat in the outfield. I mean, Tyrone Taylor, yeah, he's nice. I mean, he, he's, he's been all right. But he's only an average fielder in center. I, I feel like you have to go add at least a defensive outfielder that can bring a little bit of pop. I mean, there's there's a lot of options, and we can get to that here in the future. But I think I'm going after a bat or two. I, there's a couple big bats out there in the outfield slash DH and probably a, a couple that will be available at third base. And that, in my opinion, just where the Brewers are. I just if you're trying to trade maybe for a second baseman because Colton Wong's been hurt. I don't think you trade for a second baseman. I think just in general looking at Colton Wong. But no one's gonna trade for him. I think you'd be surprised. He's old expensive and hurt. There's a lot of guys out there that are always old and expensive that always get dealt because there's kind of like what uh, Marquette P called in. There's always guys willing to say uh, a different scenery and all of a sudden they think they'll hit. And and I and I don't think Colton Wong is washed by any means, but I just don't think when you look at the money he makes and he's he has an option next year for ten and a half million, with what the the Brewers are trying to do with keeping some of this pitching intact, I just don't know if they're and with how he's performing, I don't know if there's they're going to want him on this roster. Plus, he's blocking up one of your top prospects. No, I I agree. They might not want him. I just don't see how anybody wants to trade for him. If you, if you told, if you're looking for some second base, now I know the Dodgers wouldn't be a team, but say you're a team like the Dodgers that could afford to, uh, to add somebody and you're looking for a little bit of pop at second base, you wouldn't be average or you wouldn't be interested in a guy that averages about a 260 average, 15 home runs, gives you some speed, a consistent solid glove. Like I think Colton Wong has been dinged up for this season, his lower body. Because he just hasn't looked right all year. Maybe 
hopefully this time on the IL he's gotten better. But I just don't think he fits in their future plans past this season. And if I could get rid of him and get something back for him, I, I'd be more than happy to do so. Do you have anyone else that you were thinking or off the top of your head? Because I had a few guys. Because unlike you, I don't necessarily think they need to add a pitcher. I think this pitching staff, the way that it's constructed, if they get healthy and you have plenty of time yet, we're, we're still at the end of June to get healthy and ramped up for the end of the season. I think the pitching staff in general, it's either going to get you there or it's not. But one thing is for sure, these bats are not going to get you there. So in my opinion, I'd be adding a bat. I'm a little optimistic on where the bats can get to. I Because health has obviously not helped out the lineup just in terms of rhythm and obviously the presence, right? Adamas and Renfro were out for a while. I think Yellow to the leadoff spot changes a lot with their team and what their production can look like. He just needs the guys below them to hit. Rowdy Telez last night had his first home run in the month of June, and he's he's too good of a hitter, and he hits the ball too hard to go that long without going deep. I think we could see him revert back to the form that we saw in May when he was a good middle of the lineup hitter and really productive. So, yeah, I I think a fringe offensive move would help, like what they did with Eduardo Escobar last year. Get get a guy that can play the infield. Get a guy, if Arias continues to struggle, that can, you know, go play third base. Or uh, if you don't want Jace Peterson starting there constantly. But I don't know about the big... I don't want him starting there constantly. So, I, don't, I don't think the Brewers do either. But unfortunately, with those injuries, he's been forced into, into playing. Yeah, so you want to get a guy that can do that. But at the same time, that could just be a utility guy like Eduardo Escobar, uh, who I mentioned, that they picked up last year. Something similar to that. It doesn't have to be a big ticket guy because I still think a core of Yelich, Adamas, Renfro, Telez, McCutcheon. McCutcheon's been looking better at the plate. I still think they can do enough if you just get a couple ancillary pieces there around them. It's the pitching where my question is, like I mentioned. So J.A. Krebs tweets in. He tweets, at Rowdy Razor, I would trade for a bat or stand pat. See, I don't think I don't think the Brewers will stand pat because I think they're actually going to have to make a move if they want to separate themselves from this Cardinals team that's playing a lot better baseball. Both teams have both been injured. Both teams are getting healthier. Cardinals still are playing better than the Brewers as of right now. But Ben, I wanted to list off a few names. Now I know you brought and named a pitcher. I'm more on the bat side, so I was going to to list a few bats to see if you would be uh, tempted to get involved. And I'll go with the less likely, and then finish with more of the more likely players that the the Brewers could go after. So the first one, when you look around the the Milwaukee Brewers and the Diamond. Probably not really going to upgrade much at catcher. They're probably not going to do a ton in the middle infield. I think the clear-cut spots that they're looking at is probably outfield and third base. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So third base, Jose Ramirez with the Cleveland Guardians. That's the guy that's been floating around as supposedly trade bait for the last two uh, deadlines. Has not moved. Said he likes Cleveland, signed a deal. It is for his caliber of player is relatively team friendly, especially when you're talking about a guy that can be in the in the MVP race. But that's the first name that's floated out for like any team that needs a bat. 
Jose Ramirez. I don't think that's very likely. So last year around this time, I was on with Ebo, the Bill Michaels show, and I brought up names along a similar ilk. I said Max Scherzer. But the thing is, all the names I brought up were guys that were going to get traded. Jose Ramirez is not getting traded. He just signed a deal. Now the Guardians have him on a steal. He's the AL MVP. And the Brewers don't even have enough in their farm system to get him, right? Like, let's say even if they give him the top eight prospects, I don't know if that's enough. Yeah, I mean, see that we're starting with the lowest of the lows. So Ramirez, I don't think there's any way possible the Milwaukee Brewers could actually trade for him. As Brewer fans, we know that they had a really, really good farm system on paper, and then they went out and made the Christian Yelich deal. They made a few more deadline deals, you know, since 2018, and all of a sudden they had to restock that that minor league system. The minor league system was being raided by like the Keith Laws of the world and Baseball Americas in like the bottom five. Now they're starting to add to that the last few years and it's gotten better, but I'm with you. I don't think there's any single way that they get Jose Ramirez. It would look nice. I'd love it, but I I just don't think there's any way possible. Another guy here plays corner outfield DH has a really powerful first name. We're talking Nelson Cruz. Nelson, Nelson Cruz cannot play a corner outfield spot. He is a DH. He's a designated hitter. I'm looking at, at at the thing. It says outfield Ben and DH. When do you, when's the last time he's actually played the field? He's like 50. Like, yeah, does <laughs> he, he, turn, he turned 41 two days ago. Does he still bring the pop? Absolutely. But how, how in the world can he come play DH? That means you're going to have to move Yelich to like center because then McCutcheon and Renfro need to play the other two corner outfield spots. No chance. I don't think Nelson Cruz is coming either. And when you look at the fact that he is basically strictly a DH, he's in his 40s. He's a guy making... $12 million this year. So if, if they do trade for him at the deadline, you'd have to imagine that they're going to be on the hook for rough, roughly half of that salary. That feels like a steep amount to the penny pinching Milwaukee Brewers for a guy that is relatively strictly a DH when you're still trying to figure out Keston Hira, you're still trying to figure out uh, Andrew McCutcheon and the rest of the lineups. Now, this are the three outfielders that I think are interesting and actually plausible for the Milwaukee Brewers. The first one I'm going to bring up is Brian Reynolds for the Pirates. By the way, I found it. Nelson Cruz has not played the field in five years. <laughs> you couldn't see him playing any worse left field than Christian Yelich? I mean, that's fine, but then you have to put Yelich to center, and that's going to be a roller coaster. <laughs> it's not happening. But Brian, back to Brian Reynolds. What, do you, what are your thoughts on Brian Reynolds? I think this one's a little bit tougher to get done because it is interdivision, but we have seen David Stearns and the Pittsburgh Pirates figure out trades. Maybe not with this type of caliber player, but it's a guy that's making just under $6.8 million this season. He'd be under contract for three more years with the Milwaukee Brewers. Plays center field, has a little bit of pop. He's one of the guys that the Pittsburgh Pirates could see as expendable as they rebuild. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. I mean, he's an average fielder, a little bit below average. He was good last year. I think this is one of those settings where you'd be giving up too much for the production you'd get back. Yeah, he'd help the lineup. He'd be an upgraded center. Not a needle-moving move by any means. I mean, 
sitting 259 this year. His OPS 786 would end up being one of the best on the Brewers, but that's just the state of where they're at. But uh, 11 bombs, he he has done fine hitting for extra bases. He's fine. Like I, uh, he wouldn't really move the needle for me. I'm kind of with you on that one. He doesn't really get me excited. I think at some of these other options, he's also one of the more expensive ones salary-wise. Like He's already making just under $6.8 million. And then next season, he's on the books for $6.8 million and then two more years of arbitration. So that's only going to go up. I feel like for the player that he is, with the prospects that the Brewers have and the price tag that it's at, I'm kind of with you. I think you'd probably be paying a little bit more out of the pocketbook and be giving up a little bit more in the farm system than you'd really like. So these are these next two are my two favorite for the Milwaukee Brewers, and it's kind of two different angles at which they would be going about filling this role. So the first one I'm going to give to you, Ben, is Cedric Mullins. Now, this is a guy that blasted onto the scene last year as a 26-year-old with the Orioles, showed that he had pop, showed that he could play the field a little bit, make some plays, and also showed that he had some speed, stole quite a few bases. But uh, he's a guy this year, little lackluster. I know he is playing for the Baltimore Orioles, but the numbers aren't quite there. And it it was that one huge year and then a lot of what is this player. Now, he is very affordable, just under $720,000 for a salary this year. He's still under contract three more seasons after this year with arbitration. Do you know who else had one uh, really impressive year and then you wonder where it went? I would guess off the top of my head you're going with Christian Yelich, but I'd say he had two good years. It's not. No, it's not Christian Yelich. I think he obviously put together a lot of good years. No, Jackie Bradley Jr. had one good year in hey, Boston. he's got a stigma. I, 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 whatever. But then you wonder where it actually went. Listen, this isn't a needle moving move either. I, his OPS is under 700 this year. He's hitting 245. Like, yeah, he showed good things last year, but his OPS this season, if you want to know how much he has struggled, it is at really close to what Omar Narvaez is. It's far below Rowdy Telez. It's below Colton Wong's. It's below Adamas. It's below Jace Peterson. Chase Peterson's been a more productive hitter this season than him. It is really the same as Christian Yelich. He hasn't really done anything. You'd have to give up too much to get him. I'm out on him. See, I'm, we're on the same page today, Ben. It's a little bit weird. He's my second option on all these players, but I'm with you. It's kind of like that flash in the pan. He looks like he can be a great player at times, but then if he would have followed up last season with something like that this year, I would feel much better about doing this deal. But you're talking about a guy that turns 28 years old relatively soon. He's had one flash in the pan year. And then this season when a lot more was to be expected of him, he's kind of fallen flat. Yeah. He's not on a great team. Yeah. He's pretty affordable and he's got roster control for three more seasons after this year, but that's going to cost you more when it comes to prospects. But you're bringing up all the outfield bat options, but none of which you want. Isn't this showing you that, that most of the options out there, either the price tag is way too high or they're not going to do enough for this team. See, Ben, this is where we finally get to the last guy. Don't say who I think you're going to say. The one guy that I'm actually interested in. And I know we're going to have our first disagreement here and the guy, and he's been rumored to the brewers and he's been rumored as, as trade bait. 
Where do you think he plays, Ben? Andrew Benatendi. Andrew Benatendi, the Kansas City Royals, former Boston Red Sox. I've actually been a big Benatendi fan since he was playing at Arkansas. He had some really good years in Boston. I I think if you look at Andrew Benatendi, he's only under contract for the rest of the season. By the time you make that trade at the trade deadline, you'll only owe him about $4 million for the rest of the year. But you look at Benatendi, he's a guy that you can move to play center field, especially if you feel comfortable with Tyrone Taylor playing center field, you should feel comfortable with Andrew Benatendi playing center field. But he's a guy that he'll bring a little bit of pop. I believe his bat will play up in American a little family bit of field. Poppy is three home runs this year. Look at what he did at Fenway in a more hitter friendly park. He's a guy that averaged in the teens to, to low twenties five years ago. That was not five years ago. It was like two, three years ago, 2018, uh, 2017 through 19. And obviously 2020 was a crap shoot for everybody, but you look at this guy, I think his numbers will play up a bit, especially with the uh, configurations of American family field. He'll add a little bit of pop. It's already a guy that he's nearly a 300 hitter. I think his career average is in the two nineties. He's already a guy that'll hit for average. He'll play above average outfield for you. And at best, he adds a little pop for ceiling. This is the guy that you basically were hoping for Lorenzo Kane to be. And it's an affordable option for $4 million. And I can't imagine you have to spend that much out of your prospect uh, farm system to get him just because it is a rental. And you look at the Brewers, the prospects and, and the farm. I think they would be willing to give up like a, a guy that's around the, the 10 to 15th best prospect to grab a Ben attendee and actually have some true center field and, and another option because McCutcheon can't play in the outfield every day. We don't like watching Christian Yelich play outfield every day. Tyrone Taylor is average. Uh, Renfro's got a great arm, but it's not like he's got a ton of range. I think Ben attendee gives you your better option in the field and he gives you a little bit better, at least a guy that's going to hit for average. And I think bringing Ben Attendee into the lineup, Ben, you could see a, a changeup in the lineup on where guys hit and maybe a little bit of a energy or a spark there as well. I mean, a spark I agree with. It'll happen if you make a move. There's always that natural reaction. That's a, usually a spark in the lineup. I mean, here, one, I, because of how many guys or how many teams are going to go after him, I don't think your 10th best prospect does it. This is a guy that's been rumored all over already. He's going to be one of the higher ticket guys. And I, we mentioned the price point. Like David Stearns has been a wizard with getting Hunter Renfro, Willie Adamas, name your player for somewhat of a discount. And then they end up playing a lot better than the price tag he paid for them showed. Andrew Benatendi, on the other hand, started the first month of the season. He had 373. He comes back. He hits 300 the next month. Um, and then now he enters into June and his average has dropped because in the last month, he's hitting 220 with, with an OPS under 600. Like it, he started off really hot and then he's reverting back to his mean. His career average is in the 270s. That's OK. But I and, and he'll give you a little bit of pop. But again, because of how much competition there will be to land him, I think it's going to take a lot more to get him. Yeah, he's a fine player. It would be an upgrade on this team, no doubt. You can move him to center. He's he's a great left fielder. Would you say his season, what, what he is doing right now, is what every Brewer fan hoped Lorenzo Cain would be? Uh, 
in a way, yeah, uh, maybe three years ago, two years ago. No, that's what I'm saying. Like people still imagine Lorenzo Cain as the version of Lorenzo Cain from 2019, and that's what they've expected him to be since then, and he clearly isn't. Yeah, I just can't really buy into him bringing pop necessarily when he literally has he hasn't had any pop in his bat this year. He's been a singles hitter, so you'd be adding another Christian Yelich type bat to a lineup that already has Christian Yelich. He's hit three home runs this year. So J.A. Krebs tweets in again, and, and he goes, I'll take my chances with Taylor or bring up Mitchell than these bums. Right. Like, this is my problem with getting a bat uh, overall, is that either a lot of the guys, the price point is just far too high, or B, they're just not enough of an upgrade to justify trading for them, or C, they're a guy that really would make sense, you would think, but because it is a guy like him or because it's the trade deadline. There are going to be so many teams going after these guys. So I, I don't know. I'm just not sold on, on any of these trades because I don't know if it's really worth it for your organization to get a month of Andrew Benatendi hitting 260 with two homers and then giving up a top 10 prospect. So momentarily we'll go to the phones here, but just, just talking and kind of, explaining where J.A. Krebs says he'd rather go with Mitchell. He's talking about Garrett Mitchell, a guy that's in the top 10 of their prospect list. He was a first-round pick, ooh, what was it, two years ago now? He's a guy that all the talent in the world, right, Ben? All of a sudden, he came up at the end of high school, was diagnosed with diabetes, uh, struggled staying healthy at UCLA with lower body injuries, and he was a guy that was seen as like a top two or three talent in that draft, but he fell to the Brewers due to the injuries and then people questioning whether he could keep his diabetes in 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 control of it while on like the road playing baseball all the time. Well, it seems like he's got the diabetes under under control, but the thing is, he hasn't been able to stay healthy in the minor leagues either, and he hasn't really put up great numbers. And then when you, you look at that outfield that they have potentially in the future with some of their prospects, Mitchell, he's on there. Sal Freelich, who's also their top prospect. Joey Weimer, who continues to kill it in Double A as their second prospect. These are these are three guys that are all in the top ten, but they're all not ready yet. Like Garrett Mitchell is struggling in Double and Triple A. Sal Freelich just came up lame the other day with a hamstring, and he had been struggling a little bit at the Double A level. The only one that's been continuously crushing it in the minor leagues is Joey Weimer. And I don't think that's a guy you want to bring up right now and completely ruin what he's got going. Those are all guys, in my opinion, that are at least one or two years away and bringing up now would only do more damage than good. But then we have John here that messages in and he says, buy low change of scenery, perfect fit. He likes Cedric Mullins. Mullins would be the one that I would be more in favor because of uh, because of those reasons. The others are either viewed too highly or uh, are just I, I don't think they're good enough to be real upgrades. The thing is, you do have to wonder with Mullins was the one year just a crazy flash in the pan. 